The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. It's, it's Lion's Day, so I think it's going to be a nice, you know, chill, laid-back episode where we're not irresponsible with expectations whatsoever. No. No. We would never deign to crown them before they've earned it. But that being said, holy shit, the Lions are pretty fucking good. Uh, we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, between the coaching staff and the scheme they ran last year, the scheme we expect them to run this year, the personnel additions, the weird uh, proclivity for gambling that may or may not have cost them early in the season. I don't know. There's a lot to go over the 2023 lines. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to sip this rum. Jay, roll the intro. Welcome back once again. Uh, if you're familiar with this series already because you watched the Bears episode or the Packers episode, we are spending uh, two straight months doing deep dives into every single team, every single division, and uh, it's probably the best thing we do all year. Not going to lie, it's also the most labor-intensive thing we do. That's for sure. Hence why we have to drink for five straight days to get through it with our sanity. Yes. Uh, we do want to thank, by the way, Underdog Fantasy for making this possible in the first place. If you didn't hear the news, and this is the first uh, one of these you're tuning into, for some reason, we convinced our buddy Nick Rudman over at Underdog uh, to fully fund this show for two years. So you can guarantee yourselves two more years of bootleg shenanigans where we talk incessantly about the Detroit Lions for an hour and a half. I don't know why they agreed to it, but they did, and we're thankful. Uh, apparently, they believe not just in us, but in our audience. And so for love of God, EJ... We cannot let them down. We have to somehow find a way to make this worth it because I don't know how we're going to do it, but we have two years to figure it out. Well, all they asked us to do, and this is important for you to know at home too, was to continue all this foolishness. They're like, we don't want to reroute you or really get in your way. Just do more. Which, when you're handing us a substantial sum of money and saying, keep doing it for two years, it's a very dangerous precedent. And we will do more. Uh, a lot more. Yes. including more of these. So again, uh, good time to hop on the train. We have, I don't know, 29 more episodes on individual teams coming. We have eight more division episodes coming all the way through the start of the season. And then we got, you know, live streams during the season, weekly episodes. It's it's a lot. Lots. It's a lot. Their money's well spent. Uh, if you want to reward our sponsors for making this possible, by the way, and you happen to be a best ball player, or you happen to be really into pickums week to week, uh, promo code bootleg over underdog fantasy, they'll match your deposit up to $100. So whatever you put in up to 100, they will double it. 
and you can use it on anything on the platform. There's $15 million in prize pool for Best Ball Mania right now. Uh, again, there's pickups during the season for every single sport. It's basketball, it's baseball, it's hockey, like whatever you're into. Underdog got it. And uh, the more of you that sign up, the more likely it is they come back again. So we would really appreciate that. Yeah, they would, we would, um, and a large part of this is because they believe in all of you, not just because they believe in us. Um, they believe in the way that you I'm sure shit don't believe in us. I think they more <laughs> believe in the audience. <laughs> they believe in the way that you have followed along all of these foolish shenanigans, supported us in so many ways through so many types of content. The draft, regular season, live streams on Thursday nights, stuff like this in the off season to preview what's coming. You basically all ride along with all of it. We don't transition audience to audience. The audience just follows us through all of this, and they see that. And it's a major reason why they're interested in being, you know, our primary sponsor for the next couple of years. So, yeah, if you want to support us, support Underdog. We'll get to do more of this fun stuff, and you'll get to see it. All that being said, what we are here to talk about today are the Detroit Lions. Uh, undisputed winner of the offseason Super Bowl, by the way. Really? Oh, my God. Everybody's predicting, and I say this as a complete and utter hypocrite because, uh, spoiler alert, my ceiling of wins for them in our last segment's 12. Uh, but even <laughs> me, by comparison for a lot of people, are low on the mm. Lions. There's a lot of people that, that are like, oh, this is a 13-14 win team. They're going to push for first seed. They're going to go on a run. Not saying it can't happen. Not saying it won't happen. But the hype train left the station basically in the last week of the regular season last year when they beat the Packers, and it's only gained steamed. And then they had a great you know, free agency and draft period. Yeah. There were some controversial picks that we'll get into, but overall they had a great offseason. Mm-hmm. And it kind of didn't matter. Like people saw the Jameson Williams suspension, and they're like, fuck it, they'll be fine. 13 wins, yeah. chalk it up. And like, I, I get it. I totally get it. But I also can't remember the last time there was this much hype. Yeah around the Detroit Lions. Like, their own fan base doesn't know what to do with themselves right now. Like, this is the most hyped Lions team I've seen in at least eight or nine years. Easily. At least. But, yeah, there's there's a lot going on. I'll let you kind of recap 2022 and what we're looking to get into in 2023 because even despite their record not looking great, uh, they were in a lot of those games they ended up losing. Yeah, let's talk about why this team has this hype coming into this year. What is it that they did last year to really sort of build that base and then build on top of it with the additions you were talking about? 2022, the Lions overall record nine and eight. Again, on paper, doesn't look tremendous, but if you watch the games, better than that. Rank in the division, second. That's a position that Lions fans are somewhat familiar with. Hasn't happened a ton lately, but again, not, you know, always a bridesmaid, never the bride, that kind of thing. And that's what everybody thinks they're going to get over this year. Um, home record five and four, road record four and four. And again, those last five games, great momentum, four and one, plus the win over the Packers. That's that's a solid team that was a few breaks away, mostly on the defensive side of the ball. And we'll talk about that from being much more competitive. And one of the new things we have this year on these team summaries is an effectiveness summary. And we really wanted to distill down what it means to be a good football team and what are the indicators that can tell us that a team is good at doing those things or not. And we settled on EPA per play as our metric. We divided it up into offense in terms of running, 
and passing defense in terms of stopping the run and stopping the pass. And then you got to score points. So points scored and points allowed. Take those six numbers and give their rank within the NFL. So for Detroit, their rushing offense was 15th in the league. Good, solid, mid-pack running attack that supported their game. Wasn't what they hung their hat on, though. Their passing offense was fourth. They were incredible. And we'll talk about Ben Johnson a lot, their offensive coordinator in this episode. To get him back is one of the major coups and one of the major sort of legs of the stool of this the hype buildup for the Detroit Lions. If he was gone, I think it would have been tempered a little bit. Him being back means just pour gas on the fire. Rushing defense. Now we flip the script. We go from fourth to 29th. Yeah. They couldn't stop the run, which means they couldn't get off the field, which means they had to boat race people or else not win. And eight times they didn't win. So no surprise in their draft strategy and their free agency strategy that they went to bolster that side of the ball because their defensive pass coverage was actually worse. It was 30th. So in terms of the defense, you're looking at ranks of 29 and 30. Again, points scored, there should be some foreshadowing here. They were fifth. If you have the fourth best passing offense in the NFL, you're going to score a lot of points. They were fifth in points scored, but back to the defense, 29th in points allowed. So you have the two sides of the coin for 2022 Detroit Lions. Offense, freaking amazing. Defense, oh, cover your eyes. It's not nice. So that helps determine a lot of the moves that they made. They have these stats too. Yeah, <laughs> This isn't just privy to us. And they said, what are we going to do about that to compete? We can't keep getting in these boat races every week and expect to win. We have to bolster the defensive side of the ball. Ben Johnson's back. Most of our offense is back. We'll add some pieces to that to sort of stay ahead of the curve. But we need defense if we're going to be in games because it paints a very sort of yin and yang picture, black and white, whatever you want. Offense, awesome. Defense, awful. And it's it's really fascinating to me. Like when you look at their their season arc, after the loss to Miami, which was a, again a gut wrenching loss. They had a lot of those last year or the first half. They started out, what was it, one and six? Yeah, did the math right, one and six. After the loss to Miami, they switched up a lot of yeah. how they operated, uh, specifically on defense. Um, they called a lot of zero in the yeah. first half of the year. And then Miami specifically demonstrated that they had the book on it. Yep. And Tua hit this deep seam. And I, I can't remember if it was to Waddle. It might have been to Tyreek, where like they knew it was coming because Lions had called zero m- literally more than anybody else in like the first seven weeks of the season. Yeah. Um, and after Miami, they pretty much stopped calling it entirely. And they still ended up at 15th in, in zero. And we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But in the first half of the season, they called it more than anybody else. Miami punished it ruthlessly. And, you know, they made a change at DB coach. And I'm not saying that the zero calls were Aubrey Pleasant's fault. But they made a change at DB right. coach. And they kind of switched how they were calling their coverages in the last half of the year. And the defense, at least the past defense, got a lot better. Now, right. they still ended up. Overall, like you said, their their rank was was pretty darn low uh, in terms of pass defense EPA allowed. But they went from like historically awful to just like run of the mill awful overall. Uh, yeah, and their their bootleg power score, and that's a number we put together where we take those six figures and mm-hmm. we average them out, reflects that. 
Yeah. Raw score was 18.6. It averages out to 19th in terms of overall league rank. Pretty much dead middle, right? I, I bet you, though, if we take if we split up the raw score to weeks one through eight and then weeks nine through uh, 18, whatever it was, yeah. I guarantee you it's two entirely different teams. Yeah, there guarantee would be a gap. They were just so bad the first eight that it completely dragged down the second half of the year. But like they they fundamentally changed how they called their defense. And yeah. you know using their season-long stats, like I said, they ended up 15th and zero. And that was despite calling it virtually not at all in the entire like second half of the year. Uh, cover one, meaning single high safety man coverage, they were second. Again, they left those corners out on islands a lot, yeah. which led to a lot of big plays in the first half of the year. Uh, they were eighth in cover two, which reflects a lot of the changes they were making towards the back half of the year where they're like, okay, we, we, we can't, bounce can't survive that way. <laughs> uh, they they didn't play cover three a lot relative to the rest of the league. They were 23rd in cover three, and a lot of those cover three calls were early downs because most teams play cover three on early downs. Um, they pretty much didn't play quarters. They were 30th in that. They were 13th, though, in quarter, quarter, half. That was a, a really big uh, favorite of them. Uh, in terms of, of how they match up against trip sets and stuff like that, which is kind of interesting. A lot of teams that play a lot of quarter, quarter, half also play straight up quarters, and they were not. Yeah, they were one, but not the other one. It's a very fascinating defense. Um, and again, because they love man coverage, in cover five, which is Sabanese for two man, they were second in the NFL. And so overall, it was a very man heavy defense. And there were some times where they would hit the panic button a little bit and, and, you know, play cover two or play quarter, quarter, half. They just wanted to keep everything in front of them. But for the most part, they were going to be aggressive and they were going to let their corners go decide their fate. Unfortunately for them, their corners weren't good enough to do that, which is going to be reflected in the draft, which we'll talk about later. But I still think they're going to go out and do that again next year and they're going to run it back. But they're going to say, but we got better dudes now so we can get away with it. We're going to staff it that way. The 2022 Lions t-shirt would be live by zero and die by yep. zero. And they died by zero for the first half and then went, oh, we got to do something or we're going <laughs> to die all the way. zero a lot. We're yeah. going to die all the way. We can't do that. We can't die all the way. So you did see this sort of tale of two cities of or tale of two seasons, right? First half of the season and second half of the season. But all this to say, when you add that up, it informs the offseason strategy as it came to be through free agency, through the draft. We'll talk about how they address those deficiencies to move forward and really build this hype train of not just a contender in the division, but a contender in the conference, which means you've got a Super Bowl shot. In terms of uh, blitz percentage, this kind of matches up super well with a man-heavy defense. In short yardage, they were 18th, which again more reflects like a uh, an approach to run defense in short yardage because again a lot of teams uh, do like to blitz a lot in short yardage so they can get guys in the backfield they were about average in that uh, but in third and medium and third and seven like true pass situations uh, they were 42 uh, percent blitz rate which is 10th overall in the nfl in third and medium and they were 53 and a half blitz percentage on third and long which was first they're coming they are playing man and they are sending pressure that yep. is what the lions do uh again a lot of times didn't work out super great but i do think they're going to run it back and try that again in terms of uh stunt percentage which they were second or sorry not second 22nd in terms of using stunts and i think that's more of a reflection on 
the blitz heavy nature of it is because when you're bringing five and six guys, they all have lanes they got to hit. You're not going to stunt as much uh, when you're bringing six bodies or else they run into each other. So I think that that 22nd rank in, in stunt percentages is reflective of their blitz heavy nature. And I, I get the sense that this is going to be like late 2000s Ravens style of like, you know what we're going to do. We know what we're going to do beat us and if we lose that way we lose that way but they're gonna go out their way which is aggressive yeah and they tried to stack up players to support that nature of we're gonna bring them in waves right and we're gonna bring them right we're not gonna sit them back we're gonna try and force your hand on defense which is what this approach is we're gonna line up man on man we're gonna bring pressure more than almost anybody else we talked about how they backed it off in the second half of the season, they still ended up first mm-hmm. in third and long in terms of how many times they were bringing a blitz. So they just said, well, it didn't work, but it didn't work in our mind because we didn't have the guys to do it. Let's go get guys to do it. In terms of their offensive numbers, and this is going to give a little bit more context for you know the overall uh, EPA stats and everything like that. Um, not a very zone-heavy team. They were 16th in outside zone. They were 24th in inside zone which given the size of their offensive line, that kind of surprised me a lot, was that they didn't run a lot of inside zone. What did check out, however, <laughs> was that they love gap schemes. Yep. They were 13th or tied for 13th in duo. They were fifth in power, which again, makes sense when you have a whole bunch of big body. Their offensive line is fucking massive. And if you can just cave down one side and you're pulling you know, a, any either of the guards, around on the front side, and you're just kind of using that that size to your advantage. Definitely makes sense. They were sixth in counter. Again, it's about caving in one side and pulling a guy around. The difference between power and counter is basically just the track that the puller takes. Are they kicking out the end, or are they wrapping up inside and kicking out a linebacker? That's basically the main difference. Um, and then draw, which we see for teams that don't have mobile quarterbacks, typically is low. Jared Goff, not the most mobile guy. They're 25th in that. Uh, And then pin and pull schemes, which, again, umbrella term can mean a bunch of different things. Most popular pin and pull type play is going to be G lead. They were about average in that. Off the top of my head, um, there was a a G lead example that Demarcus Lawrence blew up in the Cowboys game on the goal line, where that, that had been such a successful play for them. And then after the Cowboys game, I noticed they started running it a lot less because DeMarcus, and again, DeMarcus Lawrence is DeMarcus Lawrence. He literally beat four guys by himself and blew it up on the goal line. And then I kind of saw them call that less and more so focus on power and counter. But um, they were very much a we are bigger and stronger than you type of offensive line. It's not as much zone. It's more so just beating people up. And um, I think, uh, you know, Jamal Williams, when he was there, was a perfect back for that. Now they have David Montgomery as well as Gibbs, as well as actually they have like five running backs in the roster right now, but they do have uh, potentially an even better fit for it than Jamal Williams and David Montgomery. And I think they're going to keep doing all of that, but maybe be even more explosive. Yeah. When I think about this in terms of the running piece of this and, and the defense and sort of the tendency, this is like Dan Campbell as a team personified. Oh, 100%. This is, yeah. I'm going to line up one-on-one with you and say, let's go. Both in the run, like that's what he's asking his offensive lineman to do. Stand up and beat your guy. 
You're not always going to get help. We're not going to scheme it up real pretty. You're going to stand up and whoop his ass. Defense, same thing. Corner, get up tight. Stand up there and tell him, I'm going to whoop your ass. And that's how we're going to win. And if we win, we're going to win together. And that's how we're going to lose if we lose. It's like Dan Campbell took that. And you, you don't often see that, that that reflection is like a straight line from the top down of Campbell saying both to his offense and his defense, guess what? This is how we're going to play. We're not hiding anything. Like, right at you. And little by little, I, I think that it's it started to progress more in terms of results, right? Like, they still have heartbreaking defeats, but they're having fewer of them every year. Yeah. And eventually, all of these two- and three-point losses are going to stop happening. And I think it is going to be in 2023. But we have seen tangible progression just by really embracing that culture. And I think that's Dan Campbell's value. Um, one note on the run game, after seeing these numbers, I am now more convinced that Jameer Gibbs is going to be a receiver that also plays running back and not a running back that plays receiver. Because a lot of the runs they run aren't Jameer Gibbs type of run plays. You know, maybe if they want to get him involved in like the odd toss scheme here, or you know, maybe like G lead and try to try to spring it to the edge or something like that. But um, the fact that they don't run a lot of outside zone and they don't run uh, a lot of stuff that isn't just mashing people inside. I do think that Jameer Gibbs is going to be mostly a third down piece for them. Yeah. And Dave Montgomery, I think, will overwhelmingly get all of the quote unquote real rushing opportunities. Yeah. Early OTAs back that up again. We're recording this pretty early, but. Um, the early usage and the early reports out of a Detroit camp, man, Jameer Gibbs looks really good in the passing game. And that's not a surprise for anybody that studied yeah, Every knew that was coming, yeah. But yeah. what they're going to have to avoid is having him be an indicator, mm -hmm. right? Is if he's in the backfield, don't worry about fitting the run, folks. It's a pass. That's what he's really good at, and that's what they want to leverage. They're going to have to run him out of some of those sets or find ways to do it. I think Ben Johnson can do it and change it up enough so that it is not just a key for the defense when Gibbs is in the game that this is a pass of one type or another. They're going to have to mix that up. But I agree with you that Montgomery fits their profile like hand and glove. When when he was signed away from the Bears, you know, I understood the Bears didn't necessarily want to pay him. He went to Detroit, and I was like, oh, oh, they lost Willie. Oh, like – yeah, yeah, man. Put him behind that offensive line. He's going to enjoy it. He's going to have big bashers in front of him. He thrives in that kind of environment. Like, it is a very good move when we talk about scheme fit. Like, this is scheme fit in a player. And it'll be fascinating to see how that offense goes. But I'm with you. I think Gibbs is going to be used more in a motion and pass catching role than anything else. And they're just going to have to keep that from being a liability, keep that from being a tell for the defense in terms of their passing offense overview it's it's kind of right down the middle of the fairway yep. um you know they're 16th in play action percentage average time to throw 15th fastest again right down the middle of the fairway air yards percentage meaning the percentage of golf's passing yardage that was through the air versus uh after the catch he was 26th in air yards percentage so you flip that the inverse of that would be their yards after catch percentage so they were pretty high when it came to that, like top 10 easily. Yeah. Um, average depth of target, 25th. Again, he really worked the short to intermediate game and just finding space, uh, which 
he's always kind of been that. You know, he came mm-hmm. out of the air raid in Cal where they did a lot of that too. It's always when he's been most comfortable is get it out quick and find space. Um, big time throw percentage was 23rd, again, because they didn't stretch it down the field as much. But all that being said, yards per attempt, because he was so efficient at finding guys that you know, had leverage advantages or had good matchups and getting them the ball quickly and get it to them accurately in space so they could catch and run, his yards per attempt was fifth at 8.1. So he didn't have to stretch the ball or stretch the field with the ball in order to have a high YPA. He was just so efficient and so accurate and such a good decision maker that they were still able to get chunks of yardage. And that's why there's such a good passing offense is it was like Jared Goff and Amon Ross St. Brown against the world, and nobody could stop them. Mm-hmm. It was, this is going to sound insane, and I, I, forgive me for this. When Brady had Edelman and Amendola, and mm-hmm. even further back, it was Wes. And it was like, we need seven yards right now. It was automatic. And Goff, last year, in particular in the second half of the year, when he needed seven yards, he got seven yards. Mm-hmm. And again, it wasn't flashy. There wasn't a bunch of big time throws, but efficiency wise, he was unbelievable. And considering that Ben Johnson is coming back and is going to allow him to do more of that, plus occasionally taking some more shots at Jameson Williams when he gets back from suspension. I have every reason to believe this passing offense is going to be at least as good as last year and potentially way better. And that is a terrifying thought. I think what we're seeing in this particular offense is a sort of Vulcan mind meld between Ben Johnson and Jared Goff. They're an extension of understanding. This is what you do well. Therefore, I'm going to call this receivers. You need to support it this way. And this is how we're going to win, right? We're going to have all these stats in the 20s, air yards, average depth of target, big time throw percentage. We're not going to ask Jared Goff to morph into a deep ball shot thrower. Like, mm -mm. we're just not going to do that. We're going to say, get it here on time, on target, be in the place you need to be as a receiver, and let's go. That's the way we're going to earn our way down the field. And they became kind of a threshing machine at that. I mean, again, they're, you know, passing EPA top of the league, like top five of the league, right? And they got there through this formula because they're just like, it it does remind me of Air Raid, right? Mm -hmm. Like how many concepts there are in Air Raid? There's like six. And any quarterback, any receiver in the air raid needs to know the six concepts. But those six can be run 10 different ways. But you need to know the pillars, the five or six pillars. You've got to have them down, right? Oiled. Like, if this works, all the rest of it works. And that is the Lions offense, like, in a nutshell. This is what we're going to do. We're going to get really good at doing it. Requires the quarterback to do this and not this. Requires the receivers to do this and not be late. And this is what we get. And it's like the top, I would say it's the top example of that in the league right now. And it works. Shifting gears real quick. We talked about Dan Campbell a little bit earlier. Um, And, you know, the culture that he's brought to the building. We've talked about uh, Brad Holmes many times on the show Mm -hmm. in terms of his attitude about drafting, where he just says, that's my guy. I don't give a shit what you think. That is my, my target. Value be damned. And there's a lot of picks that we, 
I don't want to say disagree with, but we definitely are like, okay, didn't see that coming. But yeah. Brad Holmes believes in his guys, and, and sure. I think that's a, a good quality for a GM to have. Like they don't, he doesn't draft scared ever. And I think overall, just th- those two guys at the very top of the building have given the Lions a real identity yeah. for the first time in a long time, and I think that trickles down into uh, into a lot of the coaches and staff underneath them too. Yeah, it feels like backbone, right? Mm-hmm. It feels like they set the tenor. You know, I can say, and I can't think of how many times I would have said this about a Detroit GM and coach pairing, but I'm actually kind of glad that Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus are taking a similar approach to their relationship in Chicago, that they're literally following the lead set by Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell. Um, and again, I can't think of a time in the past, and certainly the recent past, when I would go, oh yeah, do what the Lions GM and coach are doing. But right now, they've established that sort of strong central line of focus. They talked about it when they came in. A lot of people didn't believe them. that They were talking about culture, and this is the way we're going to do things top to bottom. It's going to be a handshake between the GM and the coach. Everybody says that. Not that many teams are able to achieve it. And we're year three now, and they are marching right down the line Holmes, if anything, got a little bit looser with that strategy, a little bit more sure of himself this year, or maybe um, you know his evaluations just diverged a little bit more from the rest of the league, and he decided to stay and pick, and it just looked worse because that difference was greater. Um, but there's something to what they're doing, and it's working. You can see it in the roster and the overall build. They've been stacking talent now, again, along the same thing. They haven't changed course usually teams that do that struggle, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to do this. Oh, now we're going to change. We're no, going to do this. They no. commit. They are committed no. and following the line, and it's working. Coordinators that are helping out with the rest of that effort. Um, Lions are a team that have one of their coordinators um, or uh, position coaches designated as an assistant head coach. That's Scotty Montgomery, their running back coach, very experienced and well-respected. He holds the assistant head coach title. We've talked a lot already about offensive coordinator Ben Johnson and what a coup it was for them to keep him. He definitely got head coaching interviews. We talked about that as the season went on. We said, this guy is going to be a name in the head coaching circuit. He took two or three of those interviews, decided for whatever reason that he wanted to come back for one more year, probably in Detroit and Honestly, I think that might have been the biggest day of their season. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Like to keep that continuity of something that worked so well and be able to keep that offensive coordinator quarterback connection working. Defensively, defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn um, is going to have a lot more guys <laughs> to work with to try and up those numbers that were not good last year. They were the Achilles heel of the Lions. They're the reason they lost those eight games. Um, was really on the defense. Their offense was humming from early on and kept humming, and they just, again, made changes to the defense to try and hold on. Their record got better, but again, they they can't start that slowly, and that's going to be largely on Aaron Glenn. Special teams handled by Dave Phipp, and you know this is a good power structure. In terms of other notable coaches that they have on offense, Mark Brunel, quarterback's coach, you got to give him a lot of credit for what he's been able to do with Jared Goff in concert with Ben Johnson. So former Washington Husky QB, he was the QB of the 91 National Championship team, he had a 19-year NFL career. 
I did not realize he played that long. This is a guy that was a starter in Jacksonville, then became a clipboard holder and made that transition very successfully, had some spot starts in that middle part of his career, and then was clearly just a hat and clipboard guy at the end. But that was like seven years at the tail end of his career. He's seen it all. You're not going to surprise him. Um, Played for Green Bay, Jacksonville, Washington, New Orleans, where he got a Super Bowl championship ring. Speaking of quarterbacks, JT Barrett is an assistant QB coach. Ohio State JT? The Ohio State JT Barrett. Really? I kid you not. Oh, my God, you're right. I kid you not. When did that happen? Uh, it's new, but again, uh, thought it was uh, thought it was worth bringing up. Now he played for, and I didn't realize this: Pittsburgh, Seattle, and New Orleans in his short career. And he also was the QB of the Edmonton Elks, who have an elite logo, by the way. Oh, best CFL if, logo! If you're watching yeah. this, Edmonton Elks, I could use a hoodie. It's really cool. I'll definitely wear it oh, during man. the pod. He went to the state up north. Yeah, it's true, man. That's a, so that's a good poll for them because I always thought, well, as a player and as a prospect, we always heard JT's like leadership was off the freaking mm-hmm. charts. I'm excited for that. That's cool. Isn't it neat? Yeah. That's why we do this section is there's there's just interesting things that happen around the league in terms of he's already coaching and he landed there. I was going to say, so isn't cool. he like 25? Yeah, like, he's very he's young. young. He's he's learning from Brunel. I'm sure he's learning from Goff at this yeah, point. Yeah. Like, Goff's been around longer than he has. Um, so great start for him. Um, Hank Fraley, the offensive line coach, doing a fantastic job. Um, you know, Fraley is an 11 year NFL vet, played mostly for the Eagles. That's where many people recognize him from, and finished up his career with the Browns and Rams, but is doing a tremendous job with that very young offensive line in Detroit that we talked about. Yeah, they're all huge, but they're also all like under 25 or, you know, just barely turned 26. This is going to be the stalwart front that Detroit builds its everything around for a while. And they invested very heavily, mm-hmm. high picks to do it, but they've got their guys now and their that stability is going to come to plague the rest of that division, much like Pittsburgh offensive line did for years, right? It's like you're just not getting through those guys. They've played together. They're really skilled. And Fraley's in charge of that unit. And then Antoine Randall L is their wide receivers coach. And he's got some tools to work with. Uh, We've talked about Jameson, Allen Ross, St. Brown. We're going to talk about some more folks they picked up. Uh, But he's a former Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year, nine-year NFL veteran with Pittsburgh and Washington. On the defensive side, experience, experience, experience. I got John Fox as a senior defensive assistant. He's a former three-time head coach, Panthers, Broncos, and Bears, as an assistant. Yeah. Like, okay, sure, if you can take all that experience and get into your room and just let him float. Yeah. Say what you want about him as a head coach, but, like, he's been around the league forever, and he can help problem solve for younger coaches that – Well, not to get too much on a tangent, but the NFL is a people business. You have to know how to handle people. John Fox has handled a lot of people and a lot of different personalities. He's going to help a lot of these younger coaches. And that's what you hear about Fox. Like, even when Fox got hired with Chicago, and I wasn't wild about the move because I felt like it was more, it was a return to stability. He was there to do that. It felt more like a placeholder move. And that's really what it was. They Mm -hmm. needed all that. But when I was asking people, why, why, why? Like, you have no idea how well John Fox is respected. Mm Mm-hmm. He knows everybody. He goes to the owner's meeting. He's shaking hands. He's worked with everybody. He's been around. Everybody respects him. He is a he is a safe pick in terms of a head coach. And, you know, the Bears needed safety at that time. But to be able to add a guy like that to just have a sort of amorphous title and let him float around and do what he wants, 
it's it's a benefit to this team. And then Dre Bly is coaching their cornerbacks. He too is an 11 year NFL vet, Rams, Lions, and 49ers. So an experienced staff, a staff with players that understand players, uh, both young and old, really neat mix of experience. Um, one of the reasons I think this team is having sort of what looks to be sustainable success. Yeah, because they, they're a player friendly staff because a lot of their staff were players. It's a huge, huge component of what they do. You know, Dan Campbell himself, former player. So they they really believe in that. And they really believe in, again, the people side of the business. Because how can you coach guys that don't, that you don't know how to relate to, that you can't communicate with? Like, it's a massive, massive part of coaching is being able to relate to these guys. So it's, I, I really love that approach. Now, given all of that information. All of it. That we've talked about so far. The scheme information, the coaching philosophies. Uh, a little bit of the personnel talk we've had, their overall stats, all of that. When looking at the supporting cast that Goff has around him and and the particular weapons he has to throw to, and keep in mind, small tangent, uh, <laughs> Goff is a good quarterback. Yes. Is he an elite quarterback? No. Will he ever be an elite quarterback? Probably not. But I think it became clear, especially over the last half of the season, that he's a good quarterback. I would never qualify him as a bust. I mean, the guy went to A, a Super Bowl, and B, went to a second team and led a top five passing APA offense. Like, he's good. There are top prospects coming out now, like CJ Stroud, whose main comp that we see from the media is Jared Goff, and they mean it as a compliment. He's good. Mm-hmm. But what really makes Jared Goff go are the weapons that he has around him because it's very much a yak spacing-based offense. And so looking at, say, Amon Ross St. Brown, who right now on underdog is going 14.5 ADP, is wide receiver 10, because typically receivers fly off the board in, in best ball format. He has extraordinarily high expectations as a slot receiver that's getting drafted as the number one option on the team. That is not a common thing around the NFL. Nope. But if there was ever a slot receiver that could pay that off... Short of Cooper Cup himself, it's going to be Amon Ross St. Brown. No modern-day bias at all there, of course. <laughs> but you look at, if we're going for value play, Jameson Williams is going at 99.3 ADP right now. He's wide receiver 49. Yeah, Predominantly because you're not getting him for the first six weeks of the season. But guess what? There's still 11 other games. Yeah, And he was arguably the best receiver prospect in his class. He has game-changing ability. He is more than one year removed from that ACL now. And the suspension that he got, like it's not like he's out with an injury and he's coming back with an injury. Like He's going to be good to go. He's going to have fresh legs, and he's going to get in there in week seven or week eight, whatever the the game is that he's coming back, against some of these corners that, you know, maybe a month and a half you're a little bit banged up and all of a sudden this kid comes in and runs 4-2-6 or just tears your face off Jameson Williams I think is going way too low right now and in every single best ball draft that I've done I'm getting him typically later than he should go because I think people forget that he's coming back and in the important part of the season the back half of the season where you're really trying to make a run He's going to slide in there and be an immediate producer. Well, best ball, so really just whoever gets points that week, you're going to get it. But like, this is a guy who can get 20 points 
plus any given week, and you're going to get him for the last 11 games for that huge push towards those prize pools, and he's going as like a wide receiver five right now. I don't know. Like, I get it. I, I, I would fully endorse going after Amon Ra early because I love Amon Ra. Mm-hmm. But if I want value, Jameson Williams staring me in the face. Yeah, I think Jameson Williams, a lot of people are thinking suspension. And yeah, you do have to get back into game shape. But the point you make about it not being injury-based is huge. It's not like, well, his his window for availability starts at week seven, but he's probably not going to be great till week 10. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think within those first three weeks, you're going to see a big week out of him because he's a big play wide receiver. And he showed that when he was healthy, came on the field again. He's even further removed from that injury, which is significant for the position he plays. And, you know, it is a gamble, but it's a pretty low. Not that much. No, it's a pretty low input gamble to take. And I mean, David Montgomery, you know, is RB 28. That, so that's what really gets me. And I'm like, what? Gibbs is RB14 right now. <laughs> no. Like, he's flying off the board early. And I'm like, do, did you not see what the, the allocation was for Jamal and Swift last year? Like, it's the same roles. Yes. Like, he, Gibbs is playing the DeAndre Swift role. He's going to get a lot of passing down work. He's going to get a lot of catches. Yeah. But when they're inside the red zone, Dave Montgomery's getting the ball. Yeah. Like, 100% he's getting the ball. Like, Gibbs didn't even get all the goal line touches or even most of the goal line touches at Bama. Nope. Montgomery's scoring all the freaking touchdowns. And, again, when it comes to any fantasy format, like, touchdowns are king. Mm -hmm. And he's going, let's see, Gibbs is going at 39.6, so he's going, like, early fourth round right now. And uh, Dave Montgomery's going 87.7. Like, 50 picks later when he's going to, at minimum, get a much higher peaks, which is what matters in best ball. Sure. You don't have to set the lineup every week. Yep. It's really just whoever's peaking higher. He's going to get much higher peaks and also probably be much more consistent too. Like Gibbs is going to have monster games, you know, where he's pulling in catches and he's ripping off huge gains and everything like that. But like, why the fuck is he going in the fourth round as a passing down specialist, even one that we love? Yeah. When he is going to get no low red zone work, like almost none, I don't, I don't get it. Well, and people are underrating Montgomery because of the stink of Chicago, yeah, and the fact that they couldn't, for the most part, get their running game together before last year. But he did so much with almost nothing in front of him, and now he goes and gets to play behind that power blocking young stalwart offensive line in Detroit. Like, your eyes should be the size of saucers for what he's going to produce. He's a very talented back, and he's going to get the touchdowns. Like, he's going to have monster games all by himself with that that level of blocking and Detroit's commitment to the type of running he does. He's going he's gonna to open a lot of eyes this year. I look at it this way. If Gibbs gets you 40 yards between the 20s to get into the red zone, and he does it on two catches... Sure. Which it's not even full PPR, it's half PPR. So he's getting five points, right? Well, when you're inside the 20, if Montgomery gets seven yards and a touchdown, he's getting more points. Yep. So it's like, <laughs> what are we doing here? I don't and, know. I don't and, know. It's just and that's going to happen over and over again. <laughs> Montgomery, the reason that we put him as high on the list as we did is because he never really got a chance in Chicago to do the full thing. And even though you still saw it, 
Yeah. And now he gets between scheme coaching and the offensive line in front of him and the workload he's going to get, the amount of touches he's going to get. Because you're right, the roles haven't changed. The offensive coordinator is the same. The players in those roles have changed. But we know what he's going to do. Yeah. And we know how often they're going to go to him. He's really, I can't wait. Like people are like, oh, but he was a bear. Now he's lying. I'm like, I don't care. He's a really good player. I liked him coming out. I love this situation. And people are really going to get to see what he is now. And I think they're going to be very pleasantly surprised. And Goff himself uh, is QB 17 right now. Like, which I get it. I understand. Like there's a lot of quarterbacks that have a lot of mobility now that mm-hmm. are going to be more attractive from a fantasy perspective. But Jared Goff's not the 17th best quarterback in the NFL. Like, not even close. And he's has better weapons this year once Jameson comes back. Another year with Ben Johnson. Ideally, a better defense is going to get off the field more. Like, it's it's weird that the Lions offense is somehow being underrated. Uh, at least, yeah, at, least being, at least here on underdog. But it is. Yeah, and so, I'll, after I'll being it. fourth in the league, right? Yeah. And I think people just kind of, again, don't believe it. They're like, Lions, uh, it's got to be fool's gold. Fourth? No. Yes. It's, I don't know, real football and fantasy football analysis can sometimes just be wildly different. (laughs) Completely diametrically opposed. But in this case, you're looking for offense. Detroit's a great place to go. That means if you're playing on underdog, like picking Lions players is not a like, oh, well, I guess I'll pick him despite the fact that he's a Lion. I would pick him because he's a Lion because that offense hums. You got to get the right one and value is a thing. But there's a lot of choices there. Uh, once again, by the way, if you skip through the start of the show and you missed our wonderful ad read, which Underdog so graciously paid us to do. Uh, <laughs> hi, Nick. I know you're watching this. Uh, <laughs> promo code bootleg will match your deposit up to $100 if you happen to be into best ball drafts and want to draft some Lions players to get value. Um, oh, wow. I just checked our cameras. The sun has been going down. Let me take a second to to reset those images so that people can actually see. Yeah, we're uh, probably who the hell is on screen. Much more shadowy now. All right, I'm back. Uh, For people that are listening to just the audio version of the show, they have no idea what just happened. I just reset all the cameras. (laughs) Hard hard to film it during sunset. Not gonna lie. (laughs) When we say dynamic lighting, we mean dynamic. Uh, Let's get into free agency losses, by the way, because there was a lot of talent that left the building. It wasn't all sunshine and roses this offseason, although I would say a lot of their losses were expected and accepted losses. But losses nonetheless, feel free to take us through it. Yeah, in terms of free agency, again, they have a plan. They looked at the results that they got last year and said, okay, we need changes in certain places, specifically the defensive backfield. Um, And then there were other players, right? Are we going to keep Jamal Williams after his big season that we created? Or are we going to go out and get somebody that we think is even better? So in terms of the defensive backfield, Deshaun Elliott at safety, he played 76% of their snaps. Whenever you lose 76% of your snaps in a unit, like it's, it's notable. Jeff Akuda, they decided they wanted to move on from. He goes to the Falcons. He played almost 70% of the snaps. Mike Hughes, another cornerback, played 50% of their snaps. Like at this point, you're literally carving out a large percentage of the snaps out of the sort of five primary secondary players. Primary secondary? Yeah, it's makes true. Sense. <laughs> <laughs> Following myself at the moment. But lots of changes. And then, you know, Amani Ariwari. Uh, Amani. Uh, Amani. You can do it. Sound it out. I always want to say Armani, and that's what screws me up. It's not the, it's not the last name. Amani Ariwari. There we go. 
signs with the Giants. He was 42% of their snaps, but again, was a key rotational piece in the secondary for him. So that's massive change in one unit. DJ Chark um, heads back to the Panthers or heads to the Panthers. Again, 50% of their snaps in the receiving core, pretty significant. Jamal Williams we talked about. And then a center. Anytime you move a center from an offensive line, Evan Brown played almost 70% of the snaps. He's now likely going to be in contention for the starting role for the Seahawks. Uh, But again, something you have to replace. But it felt, most of these felt like, I don't want to say planned, but expected. And we have a plan for what we're going to do if we don't re-sign them. As opposed to some teams in some years feels like, I don't know, we tried really hard. Now we don't have them. And now I don't know what we're going to do. And we're forced into a draft pick or forced to overspend in free agency. None of these felt like that. It felt like, We've decided that we want to make a change in the secondary. That means a lot of these players who are nearing the end of their contract or that we could trade are going to go, but we know what we're doing. In particular with Evan Brown, I mean, their their plan is Frank Ragnow when he comes back. That's why Brown played so much is because Ragnow got hurt. But the problem is their plan when Ragnow gets hurt was Evan Brown. So it's it's another thing they're going to have to have a plan for if yep. Ragnow, unfortunately, you know, knock on wood goes down again. He has had some durability issues the last few years, but you know, Evan Brown was a, was a good solution for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see what he does in Seattle. Uh, as for that, Jamal Williams stung for me, just from a locker room perspective, yeah. like he's ultimate locker room guy. Um, you know, that was a, that was a good pickup for the Saints to kind of carry on the, the Mark Ingram legacy of just always having like a, a juice guy in the running back room. Um, Chark, I think, was an acceptable loss just because, again, you got Marvin's back. Jameson's going to be back after six weeks. Like, in terms of the role that was being filled, they mm-hmm. arguably already have an upgrade in the building there. So that, that made sense. Um, and the corners, to be perfectly frank here, like I don't want to – I don't want to be too mean, but they tried to run the scheme they wanted to run with those guys, and they couldn't get it done. Yep. And so they they moved on. They wanted to find guys that they feel could hold up better in man coverage. Yep. We'll see if that comes to pass because they are <laughs> relying on some young dudes to get it done, but I, I think they have a pretty good shot of, of having better fits in the secondary now than what they had last year. Uh, in terms of who they brought back, though, uh, Alex Anzalone. That one surprised me a little bit, uh, not because I don't like Anzalone, but more so I just I know I know that they could improve a lot at linebacker over Anzalone, and it's it's funny I, I mocked Jack Campbell to them in the second round, um, and they ended up taking him in the first. But like the reason why they took Campbell is the reason why I thought they would, which is like they can get better than Alex Anzalone. Now they got both. We'll see what happens. Um, they also brought back Brock Wright. Uh, they brought back Isaiah Bugs, Will Harris. Will Harris, by the way, is a, a very solid kind of everything uh, DB for them. You can line him up at a whole bunch of different spots. So, you know, bringing him back at a pretty pretty cheap contract at two and a half millions, good for them. I yep. mean, they, they signed a whole bunch of dudes. The list on the screen right now is probably very, very long, and, long. and multi-paged. But those are kind of the, the main ones. Uh, Big V's back, Craig Reynolds back, Charles Harris uh, bringing him back at three and a half million. Like for what he gives them as a pass rusher, that yep. seemed weird. Weird, good. I mean, like yeah, for the Lions, good like, for the Lions. <laughs> like yeah. I was like, you couldn't get more than three and a half, but like he's he's a really good player for them. Um, yeah, overall, like they they kept a lot of important rotational pieces or role players for that roster, which going into the offseason was a pretty big priority for them. 
Yeah. Find somebody that loves you like the Lions love Anzalone. They love them some <laughs> Alex Anzalone. And I was a little bit surprised when they re-signed him, but you think about it, free agency occurs before the draft and they go and re-sign Anzalone. Not end of the world money. It's not huge. I mean, he gets rewarded. He gets $6 million. Um, He is 29 years old, but then they get the opportunity in the draft to get the linebacker that is likely the heir apparent in Jack Campbell, possibly the immediate, immediate upgrade. And... That's an embarrassment of riches, right? That's what good teams do. We have two options now. We might be able to play them together. One might, you know, back the other one up and then replace him. He goes off that contract. Um, but they sort of did one to make sure they had bird in the hand. And then, oh, look, Jack Campbell's sitting there. We really like him. We're going to go ahead and pick him. And now we're solid, solid at that position. In terms of uh, outside additions, third-party additions, I love the Emmanuel Mosley pickup at $6 million, Really good value for a corner that fits what they like. Aggressive man cover corners. Yeah. Uh, Dave Montgomery is, you know, locker room is, is a tough thing to replace with Jamal Williams. But in terms of, like, on-field ability, Dave Montgomery, I think, is a better running back yep. than Jamal Williams. Not, like, by a huge amount, but he is. And also a great locker room guy. Again, I'm not saying he's not a good locker room guy. Not a vocal leader necessarily, but a, you know, do as I do kind of guy. Yeah. Super strong. He's solid. He's solid. Uh, Graham Glasgow, they brought in for a pretty pretty cheap, under $3 million deal uh, to kind of fit into that offensive line room. Christian Covington still kicking around after all these years. Love that for him. Yeah. Rice's own. Uh, uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, that was one where I was kind of like, what? <laughs> like, how did he, how did they manage to get him for six and a half? Like, I get it's a one year deal, but six and a half million yeah. for one of the better kind of flex DBs yeah, in the super league. Super versatile, has been super effective in multiple systems for multiple teams. We all know about his legendary trash talker. Yeah. Um, and they had a lot of losses again in that secondary to replace. He was still available, but. Again, it's that um, almost like the deal you mentioned for Charles Harris, where you're like, well, it's good for the Lions, but like, how? It was so weird. Yeah. It was so weird. I'm like, nobody could beat six and a half million. And so he took the one year deal for cheap because, again, he wants to get a monster one next offseason. But like, he's a good player. Like, he's he's probably only going to be in Detroit one year, I think is, is a good way to put it because yeah. he's going to get a bigger deal somewhere else. But like, that's a great pickup for them. Uh, Marvin Jones. Back in Detroit again. Solid, stable, older veteran. And you know. very important now that Jamison Williams Super got suspended. Important. Super important. We would we would have a different outlook for the first six weeks of the Lions offense if they hadn't made that signing, which they originally thought was like going to be a like fourth contributor or primary backup. He was the guy brought in to guide Jamison Williams. Right. Like that's what he was going to do. And now he's going to be the starter for the first six weeks. And they really shouldn't miss too much of a beat. Is he as explosive? Of course not. You know, can he be as productive in the offense that we outlined at the top, right? Quick strike, accurate, be where you need to be. He's already been there. He knows how to do it. Like, they're going to be able to miss less of a beat, if any, in the first six weeks and then add that explosive element on the top when Williams comes back. It didn't feel like a key pickup at the time. Now feels like an extremely key pickup. And then uh, they brought in Cam Sutton as well at $11 million because... If there is one team that really loves 
like hybrid guys that could play safety or play corner or play nickel and you can just kind of find a spot obviously cam Sutton's going to play nickel for them because that's his best spot but like they love guys they can just move all over the place yep. and he is the poster child for that uh really really good pickup for them this secondary is really versatile yeah. really really versatile and we'll get into some of the young guys they they grabbed later but the secondary they have now mm-hmm. is orders of magnitude a better fit for their type of defense. And that's a big reason why I think they're going to have such a huge jump is because for once, they got the dudes. Yeah, they're upgrading their Jimmies and Joes, right? And so they are. They decided, are we going to flex our system to fit our personnel? Or are we going to flex our personnel to fit our system? They chose the latter. They said, look, we're going to, you know, for the most part, when these guys are ending their contracts, we're not going to re-up them. Kuda, they obviously trade. But then they went out and got these guys in free agency. We're going to talk now about who they got in the draft. But they decided to upgrade the Jimmys and Joes. They said, we like our system, but we need different guys with different skill sets to run it. And they went out and got, you know, those three defensive backs we just talked about. Those guys are physical. All of them. They're physical. And they're going to fit in the system very, very well. What I'm really fascinated by is who is on third down (laughs) going to be in the slot? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be Sutton? Is it going to be Gardner Johnson? Is it going to be Brian Branch? Yeah. Is it going to be Star Thomas? Like another one of those rookies. We said they drafted guys that they they want in their system. Even though Star Thomas played outside corner in college, he was really, really good at it. He's built like one of those like thicker physical nickels. And when we shot him in the Shrine Bowl, like he was he played really well inside. Yeah. Like he was matching up against Say Flowers and he wanted all the smoke. And he held up. Yeah. Uh, you know, Demario Douglas, really good slot receiver, like held up. I have no idea who's going to be the slot defender for them. And I think that's a good problem to have. They have literally four guys that can do it. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how Glenn and his assistant coaches like sort this out through training camp, flex it, learn into what those guys can do super well, and then make sure to pull the right levers to get them in there on those key downs, get the right players in the right places. That's a coach's job. But they have a lot of assets to work with, and it's going to be fun to track that mix and match and see where guys really thrive or don't. Um, But they have a lot more chances, I think, to hit um, with all the matchups that they've created by the changeover. We talk about team building, folks. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about going out and like buying yourself chances by getting better players that fit your scheme and mesh with what your coaches want to do. And the Lions are just masterclassing it right now. They're just amassing assets and going, we'll figure it out because these guys are better and they fit us more closely than the guys we just got rid of. But, you know, a third draft now for this power structure of the Lions. Round one, pick 12. Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama. We were surprised. Let's just understate it. We were surprised. The surprise got accelerated, not accelerated, um, amplified. Yes, by the press conference after the draft. 100%. When they said that they, uh, well, they said it without saying it, that they had Gibbs as RB1 in the class over Bijan. Yeah. Which, against Brad Holmes, he's going to take his guys. He lo- he likes who he likes. That stunned me. 
mostly too because even if they wanted Gibbs as a primary receiver, or let's just say receiving threat, regardless of position, like Bijan's <laughs> Bijan's still an amazing B- receiver. <laughs> Bijan's good enough. They split him out wide at Texas on purpose a lot. Yeah, and his average depth of target was like six yards greater than anybody else, including Gibbs in this class. So to make that statement on top of all of Bijan's obvious running ability was something. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the second pick they have in round one, six picks later at 18, linebacker Jack Campbell out of Iowa. We talked a lot about Campbell pre-draft. We both liked him. I think we both had him as ILB1. Um, we talked uh, with Matt Bowen, notable Hawkeye alumni who was on the pod, uh, specifically about Jack Campbell, what he had seen from Campbell in his time in the program and over four years, the kind of growth. Campbell's got great size, tremendous movement ability, way better hands, I think, than most middle linebackers that size mm-hmm. like deserve to have. Really, really good player who we feel excellent about moving forward and we think is going to be a great pro. Around it, it almost sort of alternates for me with the Lions draft. Like Jameer Gibbs was the, huh, not a bad player, but at 12 and then Campbell at 18. Okay, a little bit early, but love it, right? Absolutely a, a Dan Campbell guy. No relation, by the way. Uh, and then round two, pick 34, Sam Laporta. Again, out of Iowa. You know, I understand his role as the pass catching tight end, but I was lower on Laporta than a lot of other people. So I was like, huh, great. Huh, and this is kind of the way the Lions draft went. And then round two, pick 45, one of my favorite players in the draft, safety Brian Branch, listed as a safety, but played a ton of nickel, star at Alabama. Another super versatile defensive back that they're going to have to place in that secondary is going to learn great things from Chauncey Gardner Johnson in terms of playing that versatile deep, like almost nobody does that role better right now in the NFL. Um, and Brian Branch comes into that situation already having a ton of experience and skills, but being able to pick up a lot of things predictably from a player that has been doing it in the pros. Great fit. Round 368. This is the one that this is a lightning rod pick for a lot of Lions fans. Hendon Hooker, the quarterback from Tennessee, who is coming back from an injury and won't play uh, you know, early in the season at all. And again, he's the backup. He's not going to be competing for starting reps. That's clear. But a lot of people thought, mm, is this a signal? Is this the heir apparent to Goff? Is this a backup that they just like the value of? I particularly like the player. Um, yes, he's 25. Yes, he's coming off an injury, but lands in the perfect spot. Doesn't have to play right away. Has the ability to stretch the field with players like Jamison Williams. Yes, there's a scheme adjustment between Tennessee's offense and what Ben Johnson's running or whatever they're going to run when Ben Johnson leaves. But overall, felt like a really good value investment for me. He lasted that long, and they need a player in that role, which is QB2. They went out and got Hendon Hooker, one of the better ones available in this draft. Uh, Their other pick in round three, 96 overall, Broderick Martin, Western Kentucky, big wide body in the middle of the defensive line. He is the one and a half gap plugger. (laughs) You're not running on him. Um, He's a war daddy. Yeah, sure. That's well, (laughs) great description. It's sometimes war daddy. Sure. There's some reps where it's like, okay, you're way too big to get blown off the ball like that. But man, he's when he's right, like there was a rep against Auburn where he just ragged on <laughs> just completely ragged on him like okay just keep doing that like line up next to Aleem McNeil follow him wherever he goes uh and learn from him because well I don't know Aleem's smaller now yeah he's leaned <laughs> out and focusing on pass rush uh which is again 
Uh, one of the things we don't necessarily touch on in these videos is like veterans who've been in the system who've made a, a change or have a different outlook, different position coach, have changed their body type, and he definitely fits yeah. in that category. So Aleem's not a nose anymore. They're they're basically turning him into a Ferrari. And yeah, it's going to be terrifying. Yeah, can't wait. And you know the pick of a guy like Broderick Martin makes that a little bit easier, yeah. right? He's going to fill some of those snaps you used to have as as the plugger, and he still has that ability. Uh, now I'm talking about Aleem, but um, look, we're going to take some pressure off. There's a little bit less pressure on you to make this move because that guy's got those early down snaps. Round five, no round four picks. Into round five, pick 152, uh, offensive tackle Kobe Sorsdahl from William & Mary, who Duke worked with, had really good things to say about. Did he? I think so. Oh. I believe he was a Duke client. And then round six, this is the one that absolutely slays me. It's apparently... All the teams in the NFC North besides Chicago are going to pick late round receivers that I flat out freaking love. And they go and get Antoine Green from North Carolina, who if you were looking at, you know, early sneak peek at Drake May tape or uh, you were looking at Josh Downs, you caught some really good reps from Antoine Green. Big, tall, fast, long wide receiver. Sound familiar, Lions fans? Yeah. This guy's going to slot in behind Jamison Williams, be his understudy. Um, you know, maybe a practice squad guy as a round six wide receiver. I don't think they risk that. I I bet they don't when people see him in the preseason. Because That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't think he's going to make practice squad. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had a lot of love for Antoine Green, if you can't tell, because he was underrated for his size, his hands ability, his route running, his speed. Did he have a great diversity of routes? No, but a lot of college wide receivers don't. And on the routes he ran... He was pretty eye-opening. Yes, he was working with one of the best quarterbacks in all of college football. Doesn't matter. He's still got to run the route, still got to beat the defensive back, still got to make the catch. And he did all that, um, I would say, regularly. It's very, very high on Antoine Green. And for them to get him in the sixth, it was a little, a little, a little sad that it was the Lions. Happy for Green. You know, it's great to get drafted. But uh, between him and the Packers' last pick, I was like, oh, come on. Did it have to be them? Yeah. Looking at the overall report, card here kind of taking in the summary of the information that i hope you guys have enjoyed so far today uh and this is front office coaching offense and defense we're going to keep it simple four categories and you can either go up you can go down or you can kind of just maintain flat line uh, obviously the more ups the better front office we're going up mainly because they had another strong draft overall again you and i disagree in terms of some of the placement of yeah, the where picks. they pick them not not who, who they, they pick it's more where they pick them but at the same time if you just kind of flip around branch and campbell and gibbs and you just kind of move it around in your brain it's still they're good players like, who makes great cares? sense like who yep. cares at this point who cares they're good yeah that's all that matters they're gonna be contributors so yes front office we're going up even though they got so heavily criticized for where they took guys it's not like they took bad players so nope. whatever uh coaching stable Steady as she goes. We are huge believers in Dan Campbell. So we're going neither up nor down. It's it's the same. It's stable. Uh, offense, up. Because adding weapons and eventually, hopefully, getting Jamison Williams back, I would be very surprised if this offense is somehow worse than last year. And they were already really good. I know it's setting the bar very high. They're going to be better. They have every piece, every important piece, coming back they have their you know play caller coming back they have jared goff mm -hmm. who is a good quarterback and they they have even more talent 
eventually toward the back half of the year. They're going to be very explosive. They're going to be even better. And then defense also. I mean, it's hard to be worse, but they're going to be better. <laughs> you know, they, they have more secondary players that fit what they want to do. Uh, their linebacking core is improved by adding in Campbell. Their pass rush is still as deep as ever. Their interior should also be deeper and better. I don't think it's even possible to be worse, but I would be stunned if they somehow were the same. Yeah. So overall, we're looking at three ups, and the one kind of even keel is Dan Campbell, who himself is already a good coach. Stellar report card. Probably one of the better ones that we're going to see during this entire series. Yeah, would have changed significantly probably on two fronts if Ben Johnson had left. Yeah, That would have been a coaching drop-off and just an adjustment or change, not that the new coach couldn't have gotten the offense humming again, but expecting them to have it performing at fourth best into the overall in the NFL is probably not reasonable with any change, but he stays. So again, that keeps the coaching line you know, stable, and the offense is you already know what you're doing. You add some really interesting and fun pieces for even more diversity. Um, makes up a little bit for the loss of Jameson Williams through the first six weeks. They should be able to hold steady. It's not like we're you know downgrading them in all those games because, oh, they only had one receiver and now he's gone. Like, that's not the case. And then on defense, yeah, there's nowhere to go but up. It's a very low bar. But you added a couple of our favorite players on defense in the entire draft, Jack Campbell, Brian Branch. Uh, you went out and made smart moves to, again, retool your secondary to a, a sort of more physical presence, more physical sort of man press presence. Yeah, there's going to be improvement there. And when you're talking about a report card that looks like that, where coaching is stable and everything else is up, and you already did pretty well last year, you can start to understand the hype that's building around Alliance this year. Looking at ceiling and floor, each one of us kind of picks a, a ceiling for wins that we see and a floor for wins that we see. My floor for them is eight, which I know sounds low, but really the floor is building in the contingency of injury. Right? Injury. You know, the one. If, if golf goes down and Hooker has to play before he's ready, like that can cause legitimate problems. If, you know, some of their free agents they brought in to ostensibly save them uh, get hurt and the defense doesn't get better because of that, it can cause a lot of problems. Like injury is kind of the only way I think they get to eight because I think they're too talented and they're too well coached to get any any lower than that. And my ceiling is at 12, which I, I talked about earlier, because I do think that they could legitimately compete for a high seed in the NFC. Is it a more conservative ceiling than a lot of other people have them at? Yes, fully acknowledge that. Would I be like totally surprised if they ripped off more wins than that? No, but at the same time, I'm trying to be realistic in my optimism, Mm -hmm. knowing that they have a very tough stretch in the first six games that they're not going to have Jameson Williams. Like they have some really, really tough opponents in those first six weeks. And so I'm anticipating that if they go 500 in the first six games, Mm -hmm. they only have a, a, you know, a breathing room of two losses the rest of the year for them to be able to hit 12. That's again, it's tough. Even for a team like them, it's tough. So I went with 12 pretty much solely because of the Jamison Williams suspension. Mm. Cause he, I think he is such a big factor for them. Um, interestingly enough, you had them even lower at 11. Yeah. I have them at 11, but I, I think it's like a really good, strong, solid 11. And I know that sounds a little bit weird. I think they could win 11 games and win the division. 
Oh, so overall, you feel like the NFC North is going to be kind of a street fight. I think it's going to be a little bit more like it's AFC cousin, mm. where the, the, all the teams got stronger. Um, you can argue that the Packers, you know, made a major change, but again, they at least stayed the same, and they won. You know, was it not nine eight, games? Eight games, nine games, nine what, games, what, somewhere year. around there. Yeah, right. So, you know, this is a team that is going to be in a fight every week, has uh, a lot of important games in the first six weeks overall, can't dig itself a hole, um, but I feel like they might drop, you know, three, and then that would be three the rest of the way to get to 11. That feels reasonable. They could still be like in a tie going into last week for the top of the division and win it with 11 wins. It is an improvement from what they won last year. They were in a lot of close games. We'll see how those fall. Look, could they have this sort of, you know, Freaky Friday experience and win all their close games and come out like last year's Vikings and be at 13? Wouldn't surprise me a bit with the level of talent. But they do have a long way to go on defense. And predicting 12 or 13 wins is really rarefied air in a long season. And it would mean like a worst-to-first performance for their defense. That's a lot to ask no matter how many improvements have been made. I'm making the prediction of 11 based on their defense was on the floor. If they come to the middle and the offense stays anywhere in the top 10, you're going to improve a couple of wins and you might win your division. My floor is the same as you at 8, and that's really just injury to key players is the only way I can see them, you know, regressing. And it would only be a regression of one win from where they were last year. Overall, I see a lot of improvement for the Lions, and I think they're going to be competing for the division title this year. For reference, those first six games they're playing are at Chiefs week one, uh, hosting the Seahawks, who are not a pushover at all. In fact, I'd say the Seahawks are a very, very tough opponent. Hosting the Falcons, way scrappier than they're giving credit for. Uh, at the Packers, playing at Lambeau is going to be tough. Like, even without Aaron Rodgers there, it's, it's Always is. Tough. Uh, you know, watch the Packers episode yesterday, and we'll explain why. Like, they're a better team than giving credit for. Uh, hosting the Panthers, again, super ultra scrappy NFC South team that will run the absolute shit out of the ball. Um, it's That's a tougher game. It's going to be a big test way for their defense game. earlier. Huge test for specifically that run defense. Yeah. Um, also, Bryce Young, massive upgraded quarterback. And their receiving core, even though they lost DJ Moore, like they got Mingo in the second round. Like they they still got weapons there. It's not going to be an easy game. Uh, and then they finally get some relief in week six going to Tampa, um, which is probably their quote unquote easiest game in that first six. But like that's that's a tough stretch. Yeah. A tough stretch. Like not a bunch of world beaters, but yeah. Not pushovers whatsoever. Yeah, I could see them coming out of that four and two really easily. I can also see them Best coming case out of scenario. That, yeah, yeah, but I could see them coming out of that two and four also really easily. Yeah, right. Yeah. That line is razor thin, and that's gonna have some effect. They're not gonna win or lose it in the first six weeks. But if they come out of that, say one and five, it would be a really tough hole to dig themselves out of, yeah. and our predictions are gonna sort of have to adjust. Doesn't mean they can't compete down the stretch and be really competitive, still get themselves into the wild card, that kind of thing. But it would be a rough start for a team that's got really high expectations and then loses a bunch in the first six weeks. It would be difficult. There's just a lot of people. And again, I say this as somebody who's a big believer in the Lions. There's a lot of people that are saying like, oh, yeah, they're going to go five and one in the first six weeks. And I'm like, did you? 
pay attention Maybe. to the Falcons and the Panthers last year. Like, I get it. The records were the records, but yeah, watch them. And I, <laughs> I think a lot better than you think. The caveat there is if everything works. Yeah. If all the defensive upgrades work, if Aleem McNeil is indeed in the best shape of his life, not just the offseason, right? If everything hits, sure. It'd go five and one. I wouldn't be terribly shocked with that. I'd be pleasantly surprised that they were that good that early. But that's it's a long way from where they were last year. Again, this is about potential and projection, and there's a lot of it there. There's a reason for the optimism, but it's still optimism. You gotta prove it on grass. Yeah. It's a good team. That's what we're trying to say. It's a good team, but let's just let's calm down a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Like twelve wins, totally fine. Fourteen? Okay. Come on, guys. Uh, anyway, yeah, if you're a Lions fan, you probably already tuned out a couple minutes ago because I know we're just all on hype right now. We're trying to temper expectations a little bit. But for everybody else, make sure to come back tomorrow. We're doing a deep dive on the Vikings. Uh, and then we have an NFC North overall kind of wrap-up show where we talk about the division as a whole, predicting division winners, uh, predicting you know award winners from the division, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so lots more to come. And then we got seven more divisions after this. We are rolling from here for the next two months hope you guys enjoyed this and uh yeah we'll see you back here tomorrow take care